Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. As opposed to our normal format of reviewing a Doctor Who story and then discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains and the story overall, today we're going to take a focus on one of our companions in particular, that being Susan Foreman. So Paddy and I are going to discuss what we liked about the character, what we didn't like about the character and so on. And then we'll also have a little bit of a discussion towards the end about just how we're finding this whole podcast thing, to be honest, since we've started it and we're now at the end of our first companion. Yeah. Paddy, do you want to share our socials for anyone who wants to get involved in the conversation? Absolutely. So guys, if you want to get in touch with us and have chats about the previous episodes or many, any upcoming episode, you can find us at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E, T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com Cool. So this is going to be a bit more freeform. Uh, we don't have a script. Usually we have a script for these things. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to put you in the hot seat, Patty. What? <gasps> okay, we'll go with uh, strengths, weaknesses, high point, low point. Okay, so that can be our, right. our, our basic structure. We have to have something. Otherwise we'll be rambling for ages which is why this is called a rambling in the TARDIS but there's rambling and there's getting lost yeah so what do you think is actually no actually before we get into strengths what was your sort of elevator pitch overall impression of Susan so elevator pitch what's your impression so first of all I'll ask you to explain to me what elevator pitch is (laughs) so elevator pitch is if you had to explain something in the time it takes to use an elevator Oh, right. Fair enough. Um, so, my hot take on Susan, yeah? Yes, exactly. Okay. So, Susan, I think, is a character that makes you want to know more about her. She she just has that, from the minute that she's introduced, she has that level of intrigue that it's like, I want to know more about you. Um, you can't help but also kind of fall in love with her a small bit, because at the end of the day, she's still like a, a six. well, she's an alien, but she's a 16-year-old alien, so it's just fun to see, see her being introduced to the world of teeny boppers and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's just like, unfortunately, the way that the, sh- the the character went may not have been the best, but at the same time, there's limitless potential, and thankfully that's explored in the expanded media, which I would highly recommend people to check out. Yeah. So, Ding. my... <laughs> So mine would be very similar. I think Susan is a character that had great potential. Some of which we did get to see. Not all of it. And we'll discuss that in a bit. But we did get to see some of her potential. She being the alien of the crew. You know. And the younger alien of the crew. I'll put it that way. Mm. There was so much they could play with. And Caroline Ford did a really good job of bringing that otherworldliness across with her she's someone that you very much want to just wrap up in a blanket and give a cuddle yeah mm-hmm. which you know some people think that that makes companions weak i disagree so yeah overall i think she had great potential we got to see some of it and to your point yes you know exploring the character in expanded media highly recommend and I, I, yeah, and I agree with you about the whole weakness thing. It's just like just because a character makes you want to protect them doesn't mean they're not an interesting character. Like, yeah, definitely. So let's go on to her strengths. What do you think is Susan's biggest strength? So 
Um, she actually has kind of two, I would say. And one, like the first one is that is she has a very kind and compassionate nature. That like she loves her grandfather. She loves Ian and Barbara. Uh, she would do anything for them. And like, even like the people that she meets along the way, like Ping Cho in Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Uh, like again, someone that she really had a lot of fun with and maybe like kind of saw a bit of herself in Ping Cho and really wanted to kind of just look after her. Um, the other strength, the one thing I noticed is that she is, she can be very, very determined in her ideals. Like we saw in um, the Aztecs, where it was literally a case of, I'm not going to be married to no one. Not unless I pick him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like I, I think like th- those would be the key areas, like her firm belief in her uh, ideals and her kind and compassionate nature to the people that she cares about. Yeah, I think for me with Susan, her strengths are definitely, like, her kind and compassionate nature is definitely something that stands out. The way I would describe Susan is that she is someone who loves with her whole heart. Mm. I get the feeling that she, there's very few people that she just likes. Don't you, sorry, Carlos, don't you mean hearts? <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't know that yet. <laughs> oh, shh. <laughs> um, but, you know, I get the feeling that, like, she's the type of person where if she likes you, she loves you with her whole heart. Do you know? And we see yeah. that in how quickly she connects with Ian and Barbara and how every time she thinks that they're going to be leaving, she gets really upset about it because she likes their time together. And I imagine she sees them as kind of like this weird, quirky little family that try that, you know, flies around in space and time. Sounds oddly familiar. <laughs> With the exception of space and time. <laughs> um, the other thing I really like about the character and I would consider a strength is while it wasn't consistent, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a little bit, um, I do think her character did develop in leaps and bounds in certain stories. You know, you mentioned the Aztecs, which was great to see her standing up for herself. But also the Censorites, where not only was she standing up for herself against her grandfather, though she did eventually follow his advice, but she was starting to make decisions for the group with her best intentions and the knowledge that she had and the ability she had to make decisions. And then we see it in the story we discussed on Monday, which is in the Dalek invasion of Earth, where she very much stands behind her ideals and, you know, tells the doctor, you know, no, this is, you know, we should be going north, we should be doing this, we should be doing this. And she's very strong. And it's a strength we didn't see at the beginning. Mm. The other thing as well, to your point about her being very kind and gentle, is with her her friendship with Ping Cho. Yeah. Ping Show has a particular plot point that we see kind of directed at Susan in the Aztecs, which is arranged marriage. And we can tell in the Aztecs that Susan is 110% against it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she does not even entertain the notion. And we see in her interaction with Ping Show that you know, we get that inkling from that interaction. But the thing I love about her is that she doesn't hold it against Ping Show. No. She kind of laughs about it a little bit in a sort of 16-year-old girly kind of way. 
But she never yeah. makes Ping Cho feel bad about it. She never sort of says, oh my god, I can't believe you're going to do this. She supports her in the way a friend should. Yeah. And, like, as well, it's when they're parting, I think a small part of it is down to the fact of, yeah, like, I'm leaving a friend behind, but I'm leaving a friend behind when she needs me, type thing. Yeah. I think, you know, if Susan could have, she would have taken Ping Show with her. <laughs> um, and Ping Show would have travelled with them if Susan had that authority. Um, yeah. I can't remember. I think it was... It was in it was in the first episode, wasn't it? Where Ian says to Barbara that Barbara's the type of person who has like a flat full of cats. Yeah. Or a flat like full of strays. A flat full of strays, yeah. yeah. Just, which is like a, a, a complimentary insult, maybe. Yeah. I think Susan is the same. Yeah. You know, Susan, like I said, she loves with her whole heart. I think she would do anything to protect her friends. Grandfather, can we keep her? Can we please, please, please? <laughs> I'll feed her and walk her every day. Yep. <laughs> oh no. Um. Yeah. Like those. Those are the moments that kind of put a smile on your face when you're watching the the early days of the show. Yeah. So those are her strengths. We have to look at the other side of the coin. Yes. Her weaknesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, I think the biggest weakness for Susan, in my opinion, is her inconsistency. Yes. Like I said, one of the things I have done as a strength for her is how she did grow. But the problem was, it was like in peaks and troughs. You know, yeah. one minute she's being super independent and is clearly, you know, taking onus on her own life and, you know, she has authority for her own self. And in the next, she's gone like five steps backwards, which makes it really hard to track that development because you're constantly like oh she's just she's just screaming again or she's losing her mind because the doctor's not there again or something like that mm. um you know an example with that of that would be like we went from the sensorites where like we said you know, she was you're trying to make independent decisions though she took advice and retracted them later but she was making independent decisions she was taking onus of her own life and then contrast that with reign of terror where as I made the the joke before she's lost the will to live type scenario she's fading away yeah and I think the thing about that that bothers me is that it really does a disservice A to the character who Mm. could have been amazing but also to Caroline Ford who we see is an amazing actress and they just give her very little to work with yeah Um, I completely agree with you because there are times where she's just really shoved to the background yeah. and it's like for a sh- like you have four core characters and as I, I can't remember what episode I said it on but the fact that you have development for three of those four and not uh, and not for the, the last one it's a bit of a, like a kick in the teeth because you've given us the, a taste of the potential of this character and you make her into like the screen the, the token screaming damsel in distress because I remember saying in Daleks like that one of the iconic images coming from Daleks was Barbara being cornered by an oncoming Dalek mm. and I think that kind of one painted old who to outside like to kind of your know, casual outside viewers looking in in the sort of a, oh, all the women did was scream type scenario but it also I think unfairly maligned Barbara now I know that we're talking about Susan but in the episodes to come if you were to pick a 
damsel in distressy type character unfortunately that role fell to Susan during her troughs phase of her peaks and troughs and it, it just didn't seem fair to Caroline Ford yeah I think you would actually discuss that in when we were discussing the first the aired version of an unearthly child yeah where like the minute the doctor gets taken away from her in that first story she completely breaks down screaming her head off I think I asked you at the time you know people blame Barbara but is Susan actually the stereotypical screaming companion yeah I think I think for while she may not be the most famous screaming companion she's definitely the first of the screaming companions yeah and I think I don't mind that actually I mean jumping several years into the future to another companion um one of my favorites um Elizabeth Sladen who played Sarah Jane always said that she never minded the screaming bit because the situations that she were she was in or her character was in were scary of yeah. course you would scream and she, the way she described it was if that happened to me I would scream my head off so I don't mind Susan being a screaming companion in that context what I mind is that she goes from being super strong to screaming to super strong to screaming to you know super optimistic and we can do anything to i've lost the will to live yeah like yeah like there's like what like obviously that'll come up in the high points and low points discussion but it is like literally the case of she almost comes across to me like you know i haven't read it in years but um was it marvin the depressed android from kitchaker's guide to the galaxy like what's the <laughs> what's the point of even trying type thing yeah, actually, she does. Sends the Alan Rickman impression, but she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Like, Susan's weaknesses... Are... They're just... They're just... Oh, how to put it? Susan's weaknesses highlight bad writing. Yeah. Which is... Which is again kind of a shame because we've said that there are certain stories where susan is you know she's not she's not done portrayed in the best way that she can be but those are in some really good stories yeah we talked we talked recently about like reign of terror how much we enjoyed it which had some really good moments in it and therefore like it's a sign of good writing but then we have susan who's not done really well so therefore it's a case of bad writing (laughs) Yeah, and it's weird. It's like they thought she was this weird afterthought of, oh, what the hell will we do with her today? Mm. Um. Well, I, I think the worst thing was that you can't help but compare her to Barbara. Yeah. As the two women in the group. And I think the writers, and this is just my read of the situation, right? And if any of them ever listen to this, you're welcome to come on and tell me I'm wrong. Um... I think the writers looked at each story and maybe it was individual episodes or the story as a whole and was like, okay, we have Barbara doing this strong thing or we want to show Barbara being protective so Susan has to be weak. We want to show Barbara being intelligent and like in the case of Renata Tara, thinking her way out of the box so Susan can't be involved. It wasn't like that for all of them, like the Aztecs, but in the Aztecs, the characters were separated at the point. Yeah. Um, but I think in the scenes where they have together, it was like, well, we don't want Barbara to be breaking down. So Susan has to break down. 
Like if you actually go back to an unearthly child, the more I think about mm-hmm. it, when Susan breaks down, Barbara is strong. And when Barbara yeah. breaks down, Susan is strong. There's actually one thing that just kind of came into my head there where like you were talking about, you know, oh, one of, only one of them can be strong at a time, like in some sort of weird Highlander type thing. <laughs> um, when uh, in Keys of Marinus, when Susan and Sabitha are separated, like Sabitha is the, the companion of the story. Yet she's the one that's holding it together where Susan goes to pieces. And again, I think that's just a further, uh, just it's just a further poor portrayal of Susan or it's poor writing on Susan's part, which is like, why do you give all the, all the power to the story-based companion and not the one that's been with us now for X amount of weeks? Yeah. I think, you know, something like that was a prime example of where Susan could have, you know, showing what she learned from Barbara and Ian or something like that and we didn't get to see it. Um, yeah. So we've discussed a little bit, you know, some of the uh, the major plot points that Susan was part of, but let's go into a bit more detail. What mm. for you was the high point of Susan's tenure <laughs> on the TARDIS? So, there, right, now, th- th- this is, this took me a lot of time to kind of come up with and for me there was three events that happened that made me think you know this is the type of Susan that I like to see so I think I might go from three to one if that's okay yep go ahead so number three is when she ran screaming like a lunatic into the middle of a herd of cavemen to save her grandfather not knowing what exactly was going to happen but as in some sort of weird kamikaze attack (laughs) leave the old man alone (laughs) Uh, followed very closely by protective Barbara and a very confused Ian but th- that because that showed to me the sort of reckless abandon and it takes a lot of, an awful lot of courage to have that much reckless uh, reckless uh, relish uh, reckless abandon I think uh, at that age That that's just from my perspective the second one is oddly enough this is like the most continuous stretch of a strong performance from her and it's the sensorites um standing up for herself against her grandfather i thought was great um then like kind of really showing her te- uh, her telepathic abilities and it, it was just an amazing overall performance from susan you know like her one-on-one time with the first elder discussing unnamed planet soon to be called gallifrey and just like her overall sense of power but the episode the the moment that kind of tipped it off for me or took it off for me was her firm stance in the Aztecs about you know I'm not going to marry him just because you say I I should marry him and the reason I have that at number one is because she's alone she's isolated deliberately from the others and she's aware that there's an ulterior motive to her being separated from the others yet she never backs down and never relies on oh grandfather or, or Ian or Barbara will save me it's I'm here by myself I'm standing on my own two feet so that, for me, I think is her strongest moment across the tenure of the show. Very good. So I'll do my three to one, yeah. since we're doing it that way. So at number three for me, we have her most recent outing and her final outing in Dalek Invasion of Earth. Mm. Now, I mentioned during the week that I think the romantic subplot was a bit rushed. Not as rushed as it could have been, but it was a little bit rushed in my opinion. Mm. However, I think we see her in her interactions with David 
and in her interactions with her grandfather, I think we see the best development of her character. She had more development in that one story than she had in the previous, like, <laughs> ten. Yeah. Um, and I think it worked really, really well. I think her standing up to the Doctor, like, it wasn't, like, in previous stories when she stands up to him and she's kind of whining like a child. Mm. She was presenting her arguments as an adult. Yeah. And that, for me, was a great step forward for that character. Number two is a ooh, an interesting choice I would okay. say. All right. um but it has been my favorite acting moment from susan since i first started watching the first doctor 10 years ago yeah which is in the edge of destruction the scissors scene the scissors it's it's not a high point for the character because she's absolutely loopy but yeah. um it's a high point in terms of it was some amazing acting and it really brought out that alienness that I really wanted to see more of. And whenever I think of Susan, and this might sound weird, I think of her brandishing that pair of scissors <laughs> coming at Ian and just the shadow and the way it was done was so, so good. And it, it might seem weird that I'm considering that a high point. But for me, it's the bit that sticks with me the most. I don't yeah. think of her screaming. I don't like. I didn't even realize she screamed that much until we went back and rewatched this in order. Yeah, that's what stuck with me. And once again, we must highlight the dangers of playing with scissors. <laughs> yes, do not play with scissors, and do not play, try and stab people with scissors. That is bold. Um, number one for me, it's it's the same as you. It's the sensorites. I think. You know, while Dalek Invasion of Earth, I think, had the most consistent development of her character, I think it took her as far as she could possibly go. The Sensorites is where we really saw that potential. So your um, number one is my number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Aztecs was great and the bits of Marco Polo were great and, and that was fine. But for me, the Sensorites was really, you know, okay, this is more than just teenage rebellion against authority. Hmm. Which I think, from a certain point of view, you could view the Aztecs bit as. For me, the Sensorites was really, okay, she's starting to make her own choices, weighing the pros and cons. Now, her, again, like I said, her choice wasn't the best, and she did end up backing down. Yeah. But it was the beginning of her making choices as an adult that we see come to fruition in Dalek Invasion of Earth. Don't let the pinafore and knee socks fool you. I'm standing my ground. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I said it at the time that, like, she looked her most childish. Yeah. But to that point in the show, it was her most, her behaving as a woman and not as a child. And like you said, her conversations with the first elder, her conversations on trust and how it has to be earned, which when we discussed in earlier episodes, she tended to trust too quickly at the beginning. Mm. And so her taking the things that she had learned and using that to help other people grow for me, that was the, the standout performance. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me seven or eight more times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I absolutely, I know I agree with you. Like, I think that's why, like, um, like that's what, it, it was a very close run thing for me with my, uh, between the Sensorites and the Aztecs. But I suppose it was just like to have like all like what she kind of, her ideals and everything she stood for condensed into just one solid couple of scenes in Aztecs. It just, mm. it just uh, tipped the post. But then again, like, I think the, I think I we're think like, if, sorry, you go on. 
Blah, 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 blah. As, a little bold. As I was say, I think if Caroline Ford hadn't been off on holidays in the Aztecs yeah. and we had seen more of that, I probably would have ranked it higher. Yeah. No, yeah, like, it's always weird, like, the, because um, you were on it before, like, uh, about, you know, how strange it is that ho- uh, actors take holidays in the middle of a story as opposed to, because, like, like, you know, I made the reference before, say, like, Star Trek, you know, the, the, you could miss war for Geordie for an episode because, like, okay, the guys are on holidays. Whereas, like, when it's in the middle of a story, it just seems it's that much more jarring. So, but, like, the pre-filmed inserts, I think, help. Because, uh, like, unlike Barbara in uh, Sense Rights, when she's up there in Thunderbird 5, we don't really see her in the missing episodes. <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about our, our, our favourite moments, our high points for Susan. Again, we got to flip that coin. I, I think from going forward, we should do the, the low points first before then we can finish on a high <laughs> note. Uh, well, no, because I do want to talk about her overall in a second. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we we can end on a high at that yeah. point. Um. So do you want to do a 3, 2, 1 again? Or do you just want to like, uh, just leave it at the number one top spot? Do you have a, do you have a 3, 2, 1? I have a 2, 1. I don't I, know if I have a 3, 2, 1. I, I think I have a 2, 1 as well. Okay, you go first with yours. Okay, so number two is Reign of Terror, where it's the, they're in the jail cell and Barbara's like, come on, we can get out of here. Come on, we can get out of here. And uh, Sue is just like, oh, what's the point? What's the point? It's just like, like you, you do want to kind of just grab her and shake her and like do that whole airplane sequence of getting a row of people to slap her in the face to, you know, get her to calm down. Um, but yeah, I just thought like that was like, it was either a case of lazy writing or if this is like what you envisioned for the character, like dear God in heaven. Um, yeah, no, that for me is a pretty bad moment. But the uh, number one spot for low points is, uh, what was it? Episode four of Keys of Marinus, where she's with Sabetha in the ice cave. And it's like this is the this is the time for Susan to shine because you know she's had all these adventures, and Sabetha, who has been under hypnosis for an extended amount of time, takes the lead, and it just felt very, it just felt very off for me, and I didn't particularly like it. And yeah, that's my number one low point for Susan, I think. Yeah, so I agree on your points, but I had them the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) So I had, I would have put Keys of Marinus in the two point. And the reason why is I agree completely that we had Susan alone with a story-based companion. You know, everything tells you this is your time to give her some development. Yeah. The only saving grace it has this is a limited saving grace, but the only saving grace it has is that Sabetha is older than her and is a native of this planet. Yeah. That's the that's the only saving grace it has, but it is a small saving grace. And I think how damsel in distressy she is in that story is nowhere near as bad as in the Reign of Terror. Um, I think her breakdown with Sabitha is, and it wasn't even just with Sabitha, like her freak out in the screaming jungle, I think wasn't great either. And even in episode two, when the story where they first meet Sabitha, or the episode rather where they first meet Sabitha, she's very much behaving like a small child. Like she gets so upset when Barbara doesn't like her dress. And, yeah. You know, it's, she's very childish in that story yeah which i didn't like the reason why rain picks the you know 
guess the top pick for me is it came off the back of the Sensorites. It came off the back of her strongest performance. And like I said, it's one step forward, 50 steps back. I think for Keys, it isn't as obvious because although we said that Marco Polo was a good story for her, I think because we didn't actually watch it, as in yeah, we didn't watch the acting, we just heard it, the slip back in Keys for me didn't seem as prominent. But the slip back between Sensor Rights and Reign of Terror, I mean, it's a completely different character. Reign of Terror, I get it. She's upset. She thinks the doctor died in a fire. That's terrifying. But the girl does nothing for the entire story. She, they get captured. She freaks out, becomes completely pessimistic on everything. You know, mm. I've lost the will to live, like you said eventually helps Barbara then freaks out when there's rats I'm like dude like you've been to alien planets and rats freak you out no <laughs> rats rats would make me piss my pants but that's beside mm. the point um yeah but like this is a chance of escape and they didn't use it then the bit in the cart like when Barbara's like okay we can run it's like oh no go without me I was like <laughs> dude grow a pair for fuck's sake yeah and for for me it's like you were so strong literally three episodes ago like if you're watching this in the 60s you're like three weeks ago you were amazing what happened to you i just had a funny talk enter my head like there's a was a scene from an episode of the simpsons where like oh it's the barbecue episode where like lisa takes the the pig and marge just screams out bart no and Bart's like, hey, I'm right here. Sorry, I just assumed it was you. I can imagine like a Doctor Who version is, we have to go rescue Susan. I'm right here. Oh, sorry, I just assumed it was you. <laughs> yeah, and that, that we shouldn't have to think that about this character. No. Um, but, the, like, but the more I think about it, actually, did she do anything in Reign of Terror? Uh, no, like she she didn't. Because they wrote, they wrote it that she, ha- she got fever somehow. Um, but... The minute that they get separated from the doctor and they get captured, she just feels like. Do you remember the way I was kind of saying about Jenny in Dalek Invasion of Earth? It just felt mm-hmm. like a test of a character, you know, that sort of uh, the pessimistic character that's kind of token. Um, it felt like Susan was fulfilling that role here. And yeah, she did. She doesn't really contribute at all. I don't think. Yeah, and it's like. This was the la- no. Obviously, it wasn't written as the last story of the season, and we discussed that at the time. But mm. Rain was shown as the last story of the season. Yeah, that was a bad note to end it on. Do you know, I, I completely get why uh, Carolyn Ford was pissed. Yeah, and I think that you know, in the like in days like certain shows, like uh, when they're returning for a second season, they do like an audience demographic to see which characters they should bring back and which they should leave out. I get the feeling that had this been applicable back then, yeah, Susan would have been axed. Yeah. That's just that's just from my perspective again, like, so. So, I suppose this takes us to our overall thoughts. So we've given the elevator pitch at the top of the episode, but, like, what do you think about Susan, how she left, and what Caroline Ford brought to the character? So, one thing I will say about Caroline Ford is that she is a fantastic actress absolutely amazing like the scissor scene which we talked about it's incredibly creepy like we've said that the, the woman can play alien like 
uh, ethereal alien creepy child like no one else that I've seen in a very long time um, she's like her discussion with the first elder she speaks with such passion about her home planet that like you're there going I hope you find it someday <laughs> that that type of thing um, and she like she played her both like really well as a child but also in her I seem to be an adult type moments so Carolyn Ford I think definitely left a legacy with that character because whatever about the humans uh, but whatever about Ian and Barbara like being I suppose the gateway characters for the audience in terms of the t- level of technology and understanding Susan was definitely the, the gateway character for the children in the audience and I think that when they redressed her uh, from the unaired pilot to the unearthly child that went to show I think they were really onto something there and they really had a good influence for the kids I think in terms of the character and her leaving it's a very kind of a bittersweet thing because like she's torn between two choices and that choice is made for her which we talked about um, a couple of days ago and like I suppose it is a shame like I, I get the, I think it's like in one sense it's kind of sweet that the doctor did what he did because he knew that she would be lonely and he'd grow to resent, him, grow to resent himself for if she came with him but at the end of the day like it would have been nice for her to maybe you know go up to the TARDIS and then run away from it again to David and the doctor just then kind of went right she's made her decision type thing um it's not the worst departure a companion has had um nor but nor would I consider it to be one of the best so at the moment it's kind of hard to find to grade where I think Susan lands in like the spectrum of companions I'd ha- we'd have to obviously see more people come and go as time goes on. Yeah. So I think, to your point, I think Caroline Ford is an amazing actress. She did... What she did with the character she was given was great. Um, I think had they written the character as... Had they continued with the more alienist character from the honored pilot... I mean, she played that really well. And in the bits where it does crop up again she plays it really well. And I would have been really interested to see what she did with that. Mm. I can understand why they changed it if they wanted her to be the gateway character. But I think once they changed it, they were then stuck. So they established she's an alien, but then they don't know how to write her. You yeah. know, but we want her to be relatable to the kids, but we want her to be an alien. And it's like, I think they kind of wrote themselves into a corner by changing her alienness to be more relatable to Earth children. Yeah. In terms of her leaving, let's talk about Caroline Ford's decisions first. I completely 110% think that Caroline Ford made the right choice. Yeah. It must be really painful to put your heart and soul into a character, which... I can tell she did with Susan and to read a script and go why am I the screaming character again you know they'd had stories that were focused 100% on character development and her character didn't get as much as the others do you know absolutely and as well like it, it takes a certain amount of professional bravery to leave like you may like be it I think any job that's out there, if you're not being used to the fullest extent, but it's like in a show or a movie, but it's like Doctor Who was at this stage becoming really, really popular. Mm-hmm. And 
I think yeah, it takes, took an awful lot of bravery for her or for anyone to leave the show because it, you know, it could have been a guaranteed paycheck. It could have been like a lot of notoriety. But she just said, I'm kind of worth more than what I'm being given. So, yeah, I, I would also support her decision to leave in that regards. Yeah. In terms of how the exit was done in the show. Mm-hmm. um, I think it was really well done. It was naturally built to over the course of the episode. I don't agree with the doctor taking away Susan's agency and making the choice for her. I would have loved to have seen a scene between the two of them where he talks to her about her feelings for David. Yeah. As opposed to him inferring that those feelings are there. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that discussion of, you know, oh, that young man, you know, seems to be really nice to you and, you know, he's very respectful and because he clear the doctor clearly liked him yeah. we said that earlier in the week you know like particularly when david deferred to him as a senior member of the group and stuff like that the doctor clearly liked him so i would have liked to have seen them talk about him because like you know we know that she's upset to leave but they don't actually discuss why she's upset to leave so there's that also i raised the point he took her shoe like dude <laughs> She's living in like a sort of post-apocalyptic London. Give her her shoes for crying out loud. Um, I do think though that that bit at the end from because like, people always talk about that departure from the doctor's perspective mm-hmm. and you know that departure speech and it is a very powerful speech but looking at it and looking at Susan that is heart-wrenching. Like to be told I've locked the doors you can't come in yeah and it's just like what like uh, what and i think caroline ford did that really well so was it the best exit ever probably not no was it the worst exit ever definitely not i think it was i'm glad that david whittaker put the time and effort into it as someone who had obviously been a story editor from the beginning and knew the characters quite well um, I think he did it quite well, and yeah, it's it. It was a bittersweet exit, but I think it was the right choice for the actor, mm. and I think it was a strong exit for the character. Yeah, I'd agree. I suppose all we can say is thank you to Caroline Ford for giving this opportunity to have a discussion. Indeed. And we have said this won't be the last time we see her in the role. Though nope. it will be the last time for a number of years. Yes. That we see her in the role. But we will get to see her again, which is great. And like I do really want to go through the big finish stuff that has Susan. Hmm. Um particularly I think I mentioned the other day the time war stuff about Susan. Yeah. I really want to see what they do with that. Because again, Caroline Ford comes back to do the voice and I'm like it's one of the things I love about Doctor Who is, and particularly with the Doctor Who connection with Big Finish, is so many of the actors who are still with us come back and reprise their character in Big Finish audiobooks. And it's like, oh, you know, you get so many episodes of them on screen and they're still willing to return to the character and create more stories. And yeah, I get it. It's a paycheck. But I'm sure there is a certain level of joy and stuff behind it as well 
especially for the ones that departed from the show not on the best of terms like in terms of like say you know Colin Baker or even with uh, Paul McGann like who did the movie but was able to come back and he found a huge lease on life with the eighth doctor so oh yeah and like as well like you can tell just from their interactions with fans and everything like even seeing them online they, they they relish the opportunity to work in the role again by a big finish so again to big finish thank you very much for giving the actors this opportunity as well yeah in terms of caroline ford i think you know i've been to a number of doctor who conventions over the years a number of conventions that have doctor who actors at them um i will say now caroline ford has been added to my list of doctor who alumni that i really want to meet yeah she she wasn't on my list before you know it would have been fun to meet her before yeah but having now watched her stories in order and seeing the amazing work that she put in she has made it onto my list of doctor who actors i want to see when the world is no longer crap yes so we've come to the end of our first companion Mm-hmm. And now we're going to change things up a little bit, just for the next couple of minutes. Paddy, how are you finding podcasting, dude? Uh, I'm loving it. Um, it's something that, like, you know, this time last year, I suppose I would never have seen myself doing, because just trying to find the time to do it. So I suppose that's the one potential personal benefit that came out of the world being crap at the moment, is that it gave us a chance <laughs> to... Because, like, you and I have been, well, like, We've been friends for over 10 years, and how many hours have we spent talking about Doctor Who? It, I, I couldn't even begin to count, Yeah, to be honest. So, I think this is actually going to have been good because it's allowed us to get back to like you know, the, those old like, you know, lengthy talks about you know, the stories and the companions and the actors and stuff like that. And it's also really kind of cool because one thing that I thought was the benefit of doing this was when we were in college like we saw a lot of people that weren't willing to give classic who a chance because they just i suppose they were either told it was bad or they just didn't like the look of it without giving it a fair chance so doing the the podcast the way we were doing it with the story summary and or having our own thought points if it can help people just even if that's what inspires them to go back then it's but hey pretty cool how are you finding doing the podcast i'm finding it really fun um I think, you know, we've made several mentions to the world currently being crap. Um, at the time of recording this, it is August 2020 and COVID-19 is still running rampant across the globe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the last March, April, May, June, July, August, in the last six months, I think you and I have seen each other in person maybe four times. About that. Um which and Paddy lives five kilometers from my house, so it's not like he's very far away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love the fact that a this gave us a chance to have these conversations that we love to have. It also gives you and I a chance to hang out. Yeah. Um, remotely. In this very very troubling time, and it's been a nice. I won't say distraction, mm. because I, I I treat it as more than that, um. But it's been a nice escape from the way the world currently is yeah to get to this point um one of the things that i really love about it as well is you know like you said there are so many people over the years who we met who refused to watch the classic show um there are certain people in particular who jumped to mind yeah um and 
you know, as much as we would tell them, oh, no, no, it was actually great. And, you know, Ian and Barbara are great characters or, you know, Liz Shaw is brilliant and stuff like that. I think this platform gives, gives us the opportunity to go into that in as much detail as we need to. Mm. And I've, I'm really, really enjoying that. Yeah. As I said, one of the other things I'm really enjoying as well is throughout this whole COVID situation and doing this podcast is just the connections that we've made by doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, and the example of that would be there is a New Zealand podcast called Half Measures. And I met one of the hosts of that show at a Patreon hangout for a different podcast again called Mission Log. And, you know, through, you know, them listening to our show and tweeting out about us and us tweeting back and stuff like that. You know, we've kind of built this nice dynamic with them, which I really enjoy. And, you know, to our listeners, you know, in a couple of weeks, and I, I don't know how it's going to line up with our release schedule versus their release schedule. The guys have actually asked us to come on their podcast, which yeah. is great. I mean, I, I never imagined that that would happen. Um, So to have that opportunity and, like, and the guys are great. You know, like if you if you've never heard of them. Their podcast is—it's not as specific as ours. You no. know, obviously, we're we're a Doctor Who podcast, quite specifically, and that's pretty much all we discuss. But for the guys, it's a bit broader. They discuss movies, they discuss TV shows, they discuss po- other podcasts. Hence, how we cropped up. Yeah. Um, then they and- do—they do like uh, best performances from like two actors that they randomly pick and. Um, they just just have general good banter about movies and TV shows and pop culture. Yeah, and they often target movies that you know maybe aren't quite mainstream. Mm. Do you know? So they they'll look at sort of lesser known films and stuff, which is great. So would highly highly recommend you go give the guys a listen. Um, Half measures you can find them, um, pretty much all over the map. Um, and like I said, we're going to be doing a show with them in a couple of weeks, which is which is going to be great. Yeah. So potentially they could be released and we could be talking about something in the future, even though it's already happened. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. I don't know how their recording schedule lines up with yeah. ours, so it, 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 I, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, the whole lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a perfect example of that. Um, so I was actually going to ask you, you know, like, and the, the guys on Half Measures are going to be asking us a number of questions as well um, in relation to the podcast. But I wanted to ask you... Um, what other podcasts do you listen to at the moment? You know, our listeners, you know, if they're liking the stuff that we're doing and they want to, you know, hear other stuff, what what stuff are you listening to? So there's like, I, I, I listen to the guys uh, for Half Measures. Uh, you got me into Mission Log, which is the Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, I love. Uh, though I won't, I, I'm very slow in listening to it. Um, the, the joys of being, you know, a parent to a 15-month-year-old child. But... <laughs> um, but fifteen month year old, yeah, you you heard me. Um, so I don't get to listen to it as much as I'd like, but uh, the guy like they have a really good dynamic, and it's really nice to hear people talking so in depthly and so lovingly about Star Trek, which is another uh, franchise that I do quite enjoy. Uh, another podcast again that you got me into was the Get Into Gate guys in Australia. Mm-hmm. They they listen to Stargate, so again slow pace, and then when it 
because I'm a wrestling fan, there are like uh, Chris Jericho's uh, podcast, which again, mostly down to wrestling, but they do talk about some random stuff as well. Uh, but my main focus would probably be on the mission log and the half measures guys. How about yourself? Yeah, so for me, I think the podcast that originally got me into podcasting is actually one from years and years ago. Um, I don't think he even releases any episodes now. And um, to, to put it in context, it was back when I had an iPhone, which was, you know, before I started my current job. So it was over six years ago. Um, was actually Radio Free Burrito um, with Will Wheaton. Um, which was just this weird podcast. I don't even know what how to describe it. You know, he'd play, you know, adverts from like the 50s and 60s and he'd, you know, talk general nonsense as you do on a podcast. Um, he'd read out stories that he'd written. It was just, it was this weird introduction for me to this world of podcasting and the audio medium. After that, the main ones that I listen to at the moment are... Mission Log, like we said, I started listening to Mission Log maybe two years ago. Um, for context, the guys review every episode of Star Trek. They started with the original series. They're currently, at the time of this recording, on Deep Space Nine. And I literally binged all of their stuff to catch up when I first started listening to them. <laughs> so I've in two years, I've caught up on what is probably like seven years of work for the guys. Um their stuff is great. Uh, Get Into Gate, like we said, which is a similar thing, but with Stargate. There is also another one that I love, which is Recommissioned, which is a Battlestar Galactica podcast. Then, in terms of Mission Log, like I said, Mission Log is a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. The Roddenberry Network has lots of other podcasts as well. And another one I really enjoy is Women at Warp, uh, which is basically four women Star Trek fans talking about Star Trek, how it represents women, how it represents LGBTQ plus culture, how it represents, you know, people of colour. It's really, really great because as opposed to talking about individual episodes, which most of the other podcasts listen to do, they talk about more, you know, broader concepts. And lastly, and I know I have a few, but this is just, I literally just pulled up my Spotify and just saw all the ones that I'm following. Uh, the last one is the... Lady Bam podcast. I don't know if I've shared this one with you before, Patty. You um, haven't. It's, it's Mary McDonnell, the actress. Ooh. Otherwise known as Madam President from Battlestar Galactica. And there's only been like 15 episodes um, since like 2018. But like she did um, an interview with Gates McFadden. She did an interview with Katie Sackoff. She did... Um, some other Battlestar Galactica people she did interview an interview with Kate Mulgrew and Marina Sirtis and it's just it's so great um, to listen to one of your one of my favourite actors um, doing their own podcast it's like with the Will Wheaton thing I'm like I, I don't care what they're talking about I just want to listen to it yeah I think that's like one thing that the, the, um, the current world situation has done it's like inspired like a lot of actors to kind of just sit down and do uh, their own podcasts like the David Tennant one which I don't think either of us have listened to yet but must actually listen to it at some point um, I'd be kind of keen to see that because like I love David Tennant yeah and what we'll probably do with this um, episode is in the we probably won't put it in the episode description because it'll probably get a bit long but in yeah. the 
Facebook, um, Twitter and Instagram updates. We'll tag as many of these podcasts as we can. So we'll tag their handles and stuff so you can go and listen to their stuff if it's something that you would be interested in. Yes, definitely do. Because uh, a friend of mine from work uh, who is, I think he's an even bigger Star Trek head than you and I are. Um, he was, like, he's a big, he's into podcasts and I put this on to him. Now, I don't know whether he listened to it or not yet, but it's the type of podcast that if you like talking about Star Trek in terms of the real core of the characters and like the messages behind it then mission log is the one for you i think yeah the guys are absolutely amazing and i will say um i need to give a massive shout out to the guys from mission log when we first started talking about doing something like this we talked about this ages ago yeah it was originally like, meant to be a youtube channel yeah like th- this has come in so many different forms and it was um it was before lockdown it was you know a little bit before lockdown um i became a patron of mission log on patreon and i started you know sending messages to the guys and like chatting with them and stuff like that and they do sometimes monthly sometimes bi-monthly patreon hangout where you actually get to go and talk to them and i really love their setup but one of the things that being a patreon member for them gave me access to was that they release a video of them recording their podcast and even though I probably should have realized it sooner, like I said, binge seven years worth of their stuff and, you know, as many months, um, I hadn't realized that they actually recorded from separate locations. I thought that they were in a studio. So did I. But they're actually in separate locations. And so once I saw that, I sent them a message and I was like, hey, I'd be really interested in learning more about how you guys managed to do that. And the two of them were so, so helpful they gave some really helpful tips. They recommended some software that we can use. They gave some really good advice on just, you know, podcasting in general. And ever since I sent them that first message, you know, they've, you know, brought it up in several of their sort of Patreon exclusive um, recording content, you know, which is their unedited version of their show. Um, so between acts of their show, they talk about stuff that was going on and they'd be like, oh, and also, you know, Trisha, I hope you're doing really well with this or Trisha, I hope you had an opportunity to look at that. You know, every time we have a Patreon hangout, they always ask me how it's doing. And that's how me and Paul from Half Measures got to know each other was they sort of gave us, you know, hey guys, give your elevator pitch for your podcast. And they gave us the audience to do that. Um, So I really must give a massive thanks to the guys because I don't think we would have done this if I hadn't had that conversation with them. Yeah. So I think that like it's um this this way like obviously it'd be great like if we could actually do it from the same location but for, for however long this goes on, this is just, you know, it's the next best thing and it's working really well, I think. Definitely. So was there anything else you wanted to include in today's rambling in the TARDIS? Uh, not much, uh, other than you can expect these kind of things popping up every now and again, guys, because every time a companion leaves, it's, I think it's an event to talk about, be it whether it's a good reason for leaving or a bad reason for leaving, i.e. death. Um, so, uh, you can expect stuff like this. And again, obviously when the doctor may, like whenever the time the doctor leaves, we'll be doing a bit retrospective about that. So I think as well, like it's just nice to have like these small little bonus uh, things for people to break up the the, the week long wait for the next episode. 
Yeah. What when we when you and I were first coming up with the idea for the show, we immediately wanted to do something where we wouldn't have to be as scripted as we usually are. Yeah. Um Paddy is the one who came up with the title Ramblings in the TARDIS, so kudos Thank to you, you on that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, so you can expect these, you know, anytime a companion or a doctor leaves. We may do others as well, like if there's a topic we want to discuss in a bit more detail that we think would go on for way too long in a normal episode discussion, hmm. you may see these pop up. And usually, touch wood, they'll be on a Wednesday after our standard normal Monday uploading schedule. But if you want to keep track and keep an eye out for when we're going to be having these discussions or if you want to leave us any feedback or comments that we may include in a future discussion as paddy said at the top of the episode you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at time team that's t-i-m-e-t-e-a-m-p or you can email us at time traveling team at teamproductions.com and one last thing i would just like to say as well that if you're interested to see some of the stories uh, that we've discussed or ones coming up but you don't have access to them via either DVD uh, a lot of new streaming services so you're like your BritBox or HBO Max have actually gotten the rights to Classic Who so they're all up there for streaming if they're available in your region so I would highly recommend to check them out definitely so I suppose that's it guys yep this is kind of weird because we don't usually sign off these things <laughs> I know it's just okay uh, yeah, sure, we'll just do it. so guys until next time bye Bye.